0: Hello, this is Anthony Fasano, and this is the podcast for engineers who want to succeed in both work and life. I have an awesome episode for you today. I did an interview with Taylor Pearson, the author of the best-selling book, The End of Jobs, and you're going to hear that interview in a minute, but I'm really super passionate about this topic that Taylor discusses in this episode, which is this idea that the nine to five job is ending or has the potential to end or be greatly reduced because of all the tools and resources out there today in the world, it makes it easier for people to do more work remotely, freelancing, lower cost work. How is that going to affect you as an engineer? How can you plan for that? And that's exactly what Taylor talks about. In the main segment of the show, we'll dive into the research he did to help prove this theory, but then in the Take Action Today segment, he and I will actually dissect specifically an engineering career and how that looks like as far as Becoming more of an entrepreneur in your engineering career and going with this theory of the end of jobs. Before we get into the main segment of the show, I do want to take a moment to talk to you about something that Chris and I are actually reaching out to you for, and that's your support. As you know, this podcast is free. We do two podcasts the Civil Engineering Podcast and the Engineering Career Coach Podcast, over 70 episodes a year, completely free to you, the listener. However, quite a bit of work and cost for us because we have an audio producer, we have a team that helps us. And we're looking for some support to try to keep this all going. We have one sponsor in PPI and they'll be with us again. And we're thrilled about that. And that covers some of our production costs, but we're still looking to get more costs to try to support all this content. We've set up a a Patreon page, which is a really cool new feature. It's a page that allows you to support our content creation simply by donating a dollar a month, $3 a month, $5 a month, $10 a month, whatever you think it's worth to you. And the idea behind this is that there are a lot of artists out there that create music and other types of content, and people pay them a lot of money for it. However, in kind of the content creation world we're in, there isn't really a lot of money exchange. I mean, a lot of this stuff is free, which is great, and we love doing it, and we love serving engineers. We're both engineers so we know how difficult it is to advance. But the problem is for us to try to keep this going at the amount of time it takes and the cost that it takes, we just need your help and we need your support. And even if all of our subscribers donated $1 per month, we would hit our goals with this Patreon campaign. So please, all you need to do is go to engineeringcareercoach.com forward slash support. Again, that's engineeringcareercoach.com forward slash support. Just take a minute. If you could do it now, that'd be great. Go there, pledge, even if it's just a dollar a month, or if you want to do more, that'd be wonderful, just to help us keep this whole train rolling for you and continue to serve you in your engineering career and your life. So thank you for that. All right, now I'm going to give you a quote, actually from Taylor Pearson, from his book, The End of Jobs, that'll lead us into the interview with Taylor. And the quote goes as follows. The degree to which we're able to design our reality is directly related to our quality of life, freedom and wealth. Those that design reality have a higher quality of all factors in their life, and through designing their reality, they enable others to do the same by creating more wealth. And again, that's from Taylor Pearson, The End of Jobs, and let's go into his interview right now. All right. Now it's time for our main segment of the show today. I'm really excited to have with me today, Taylor Pearson from taylorpearson.me. Taylor's an entrepreneur and author of the number one bestseller, The End of Jobs, Inc.com rated The End of Jobs, one of the top three start your own business books of 2015. Wall Street Journal bestselling author and entrepreneur is James Altucher said of it, entrepreneurship is not a choice you can make at your leisure. You have to jump on the train or lose your chance. Now is the time, and Taylor's book describes exactly how to do it. Taylor, welcome to the Engineering Career Coach Podcast.
1: Thank you for having me on. I'm excited to be here.
0: So Taylor has written this book that I've talked about a bit. Chris and I have talked about a bit through our different channels of things we do on our site. And basically the idea here is we're going to get into it with Taylor, but the idea here, the reason that we wanted to have him on is because we know that there are thousands of engineers and technical professionals out there that are kind of locked down to this 9 to 5 job and we know that a lot of you have contacted us and said listen is there other options can we start our own business can we do other types of things freelancing other things whatever it may be to kind of get you some freedom and that's exactly what tailors book, The End of Jobs, is all about. And that's, that's what we want to talk to him. We're going to dive in and we're going to go through some specific points on that today. But Taylor, before we do that, why don't you kind of introduce yourself a little bit more to the, the listener here and just explain kind of your background, how you got to do what you do, which is writing.
1: Yeah. So um, I'm originally from Memphis, Tennessee. I grew up in a small town about an hour outside of downtown Memphis. I went to college in a small liberal arts school in Alabama and was kind of like on this track to go to law school. I was never very good at math or science. And so I did humanities and, you know, the basically kind of the, the script from everyone around me was, you know, if you do humanities, you either do PhD or law school. And so, you know, I didn't really want to be broke for 10 years with a PhD and bad job prospects afterwards. So I said, okay, I'll go to law school and then had this Study abroad. I was studying Spanish and I said, Well, you know, I'll go, I'll go abroad and I'll study Spanish and went abroad and spent six months in Argentina and came back and said, Like, that was really cool. I'd like to do more of that. And I would not like to go to law school anymore. So I started looking for kind of like other alternative career options Uh, and I freelanced as a medical interpreter for a little while. Um, I taught English in Brazil and then kind of like stumbled on internet businesses and business and entrepreneurship as a way to achieve some like freedom and autonomy with my life through having kind of like an alternative, you would say, non-traditional career. And so that's kind of the premise of the book, which is I was teaching English in Brazil and I went to work for this small entrepreneurial company based out of San Diego. And they also had a company based out of Hong Kong and worked with them for a couple of years and kind of taught myself or used their business as a way to teach myself, you know, what it means to be an entrepreneur, what entrepreneurship is and how that all works.
0: Awesome. And, and what you heard Taylor say there was that this idea of an online business, this non-traditional career, from what his book is suggesting is that this idea of a non-traditional career is going to not necessarily be non-traditional anymore as we move forward. And that's kind of what we're going to talk about today. So what I've done here is I've pulled six points out of Taylor's book that I want to walk through with him, which will kind of walk us down this, this path of why he believes that the traditional jobs are ending and what you need to kind of capitalize on that. And then in the Take Action Today segment of the show, we'll specifically talk about uh, you as an engineer or a technical professional, some of the immediate steps that you could take. So first point here for you, Taylor, the social and technological advancements of the past hundred years have brought us the end of jobs. Talk to us about that.
1: So uh, I'm sure actually probably the the listeners will understand this better than I do, but there's a guy named Ellie Goldratt, and he came up with this thing called The Theory of Constraints. You wrote a book called The Goal about it, and basically what it explains is if you have a system, at any given time in the system, there is one limiting factor, and whatever that limiting factor is, is the only thing that matters in terms of improving the outcome of the system. So if you have... Um, You know, I can imagine a very simple production line where there are two machines. One machine produces 100 units an hour and the other machine produces 50 units an hour. It doesn't matter what you do to that first machine. If all of a sudden the first machine can produce 200 units an hour and the second one can still only produce 50, your output is still 50 units, right? So this idea of, you know, there is some limit. So obviously that's a very, very simple system. But I think the same theory applies to much, much more complex systems. So when we're talking about the economy, I think we've gone through this period where, you know, initially, very early on, agriculture was maybe the limit. And then we moved into an industrial economy. And over the 20th century, we moved into a knowledge economy. And so the argument I'm making is that we are now in this transition from a knowledge or an information economy into an entrepreneurial economy. And that, you know, we've been focused on addressing this knowledge limit for the past one hundred years, and it was the limiting technology for the past hundred years, and so addressing it was very effective and you know things like credentialism and going to school for more and more degrees at traditional universities were good ways of addressing that, but that that's no longer the limit that now the limit in the economy is entrepreneurship, and that that is the scarce resource that by addressing can create a lot more kind of career freedom and career options for you
0: right so Taylor's book does a great job of describing this and he really goes into detail with charts and graphs and references. But the premise here is that for the last however many years, people have wanted to get the degrees, the education. At a time, it was scarce. And now, you know, there's these online programs, there's things everywhere people are going for degrees all over the place. I think, Taylor, even in your book, you talked about the number of the population, I guess, that had a college degree. And how rapidly that has advanced, as far as to the number of population. Whereas now it seems that the scarce skill set, uh, like Taylor said, is entrepreneurship. So let's take that and jump to the next point, number two here, which I have is for the past forty years, the only job segment with growth has been non routine cognitive type. For example, creating systems.
1: Yeah. So I saw this actually from a paper that got profiled in the Wall Street Journal. They kind of broke work down into this like two by two matrix of Is it routine or is it non-routine and is it manual or is it cognitive? I mean, if you break work down or you break industries and job types down into that matrix, for the last 40 years, the only segment that is growing both in terms of size and in terms of wages is non-routine cognitive work. So you're not doing the same thing over and over again. It's something you're using your brain for. So you are constantly creating new systems. And basically this is, you know, I'm using kind of like a loose definition of entrepreneurship, but that is... Are you doing something new? Are you creating a new system, you know, using kind of your intellectual knowledge, using your intellectual property? And that, you know, as kind of this like limits theory would predict that that is where all the growth has been.
0: So let's try to put an example to this here. Let's say if you're an engineer, be doing design, I'll use like a site design because that was my background. When I take a piece of land and I look at it, there's going to be some non-routine cognitive work where I need to think about from my experience, from my knowledge, maybe from my knowledge of the geographical area, I'm going to put the pond over here. I'm going to put the houses over here. I know that there's wetlands over here. I know there's a problem over here and I'm going to lay it out. Once I do that, I'm going to be using the same equations, the same computer programs to run the design on it. So I guess if I'm understanding Taylor, that person that can take the site and actually do the initial design and layout that's a valuable skill. Not to say that the design part isn't, but if they want to go out and hire someone that has experience doing AutoCAD or doing calculations based on the layout that you've provided, they can do that. But it's harder for them to go out there and to find that person that can actually look at the site, have the knowledge around it, but that experience to lay it out. Is that, would that be an accurate example, Taylor?
1: Yeah, it's a great example. All
0: right. So it's something that you should be thinking about in your career, because when you build your career, when you build your experience, your resume, all that stuff, you have to think about, do I have the skills that are considered non-routine that require this cognitive type of work? Or do I have the skills that can be plugged in and that somebody else can do if they really wanted to go out there and hire someone else to do it? And I think that, you know, whether you decide that the nine to five is not for you, you or it is for you, it doesn't matter. Because even if you want to be a successful in the nine to five world, in the corporate world and move around, there's a lot of value to that. So keep that in mind. All right, let's go to number three here. Jobs in almost all industries are becoming increasingly commoditized.
1: Yeah. So I kind of, I'll kind follow up with the point you made earlier, which is one of the numbers I quote in the book is, if you look up until the year 2000, there were 90 million college graduates in the year 2000. So it took all of human history to get to 90 million graduates. Uh, In 2010, that number had grown to 130 million. So, you know, all of human history to get to 90 million, and then all of a sudden, like, it's almost increased by 50% in a decade. So, you know, what happens when you have increasing supply and either, you know, stagnant or dwindling demand? You know, it becomes a commodity. That's, you know, kind of the definition of a commodity. And to kind of cite another number here, there was a report by Kleiner Perkins, that came out and if you looked at job growth from 1948 to 2000 relative to population jobs were growing 1.7x relative to population so for every new person there was 1.7 new jobs and then that trend again kind of paralleling this other thing has totally reversed that since from 2000 to 2015 there are 2.4 new people for every job so kind of these all these trends that were true for the 20th century have reversed and they're no longer true, and we're seeing this kind of commodification of a lot of sectors that were kind of profitable in the 20th century.
0: So this is interesting. So when you think about that statistic, with the 90 million took all of civilization to get 90 million people to get degree, and then it goes to 130 million so quickly, right? That tells you that you know, as we said before, there's a little bit less demand on that. Which means it's probably less valuable in the realm of things when someone's evaluating people based on how they can help them. And what's interesting about this is we do a lot of coaching at the Engineering Career Coach with engineers on their career and their advancement, the decisions that they're making to move forward. And of course, one of the things that always comes up is what credentials should I get? Should I get an MBA? Should I get a master's in engineering? Should I get this certification or not? And this conversation that Taylor and I are having right now plays a huge role in that because. Maybe getting a certain degree or a certain certification isn't the best move anymore because you know thousands and thousands of other people have done it and it's not really going to differentiate you. What may differentiate you more, like we talked about before, is the being, having that skill. And when I talk to a lot of CEOs, and this is going to lead us into our next point, when I talk to a lot of engineering CEOs, what they tell us is, listen, we can find someone that can do the technical work. What we need is somebody that can bring in the business, somebody that can go out there and talk with people, can find new opportunities for us. And that's that non-routine type of work. And that's exactly what Taylor's leading us down with these points in the summary of his book. So with that, Taylor, let's jump into this next point, which is a very, I think a very important one. Number four, which is entrepreneurship is a skill set which can be acquired, which I think may come as a surprise to a lot of people.
1: Yeah, so I grew up in Tennessee. My dad was a doctor. My mom was his office manager. Um, Until I was maybe 22 years old, I'd never met someone in my life that I would consider an entrepreneur. By no means would have called. Everyone's like, you know, you hear these like entrepreneurial stories of like, I was seven and I was like caulking lemonade. And and I don't really have, I don't relate to that at all. I don't have any story about, you know, like caulking lemonade or like, you know, ripping up flowers from someone's garden and selling them back to them. And so entrepreneurship for me was very much a learned skill set. And I think it is for a lot of people. And I think I've always had this kind of like insecurity around like, you know, am I really an entrepreneur? And one of the things I realized was like, this was a really dumb dichotomy. (laughs) You know, just like, you know, you can go to school and acquire knowledge or you can take a course and you can acquire knowledge. Entrepreneurship is the same thing. And kind of there are pathways, there are ways you can Acquire entrepreneurship. I know we're going to talk about those in a little bit, so we'll save it.
0: Yeah, we're going to get into that at the end of the show. We'll 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 take a little bit of an example, but I think it's a good point, Taylor, because I know, for example, right now here in the U.S., the show Shark Tank is a real popular show, and you hear all these people get up and they say to Mark Cuban, "I was knocking on doors when I was six years old. I was selling lemonade. I was doing all this stuff," and I think it does, you know, paint this picture that can be a bit of a misnomer that you know you if you didn't do that then you can't build a business, be a freelancer, know how to control your own destiny with these entrepreneurship skills. And I think it's false. And I think in the book, you definitely, you know, spend some time on shedding some light on that, which I think is important for our listener here, because we're talking about how jobs, traditional jobs are ending. I mean, it's not really a question. I mean, I think we're seeing it all over the globe right now. And if you don't think you can learn these skills, it puts you in a very precarious position. So I think I'm I'm glad that Taylor has kind of shed some light on that. And like I said, we'll we'll get into that in a minute, a little bit more in a specific situation from you as a technical professional and what you can do. So jumping into the next point, number five, with the internet, geography is irrelevant. Let's talk about this, Taylor. I think this is really important too, especially to our listeners as engineers, because obviously engineering projects are global. So there's a lot of impact with this point. Tell us about what you found about,
1: about this in your research. So, yeah, when you think about kind of entrepreneurship and business, traditionally you think like, okay, I got to go open up an office. I got to pay overhead on the office. You know, I'm going to work with people in my local area. I mean, like this is kind of like the notion people have of starting a business. And obviously like the internet has changed a lot of that in a couple of ways. So one is all of a sudden your customer base is global, right? So, but you can work... Over the internet, like we're talking on Skype right now, if you were a consultant, you could have clients all over the world, all over the U.S., Canada, wherever you're based. So all of a sudden we've gone this period where you're like, you didn't used to be able, I was talking with a, a guy that runs an accounting business and you said, you are know, like in the 90s, you couldn't couldn't run a business out of your house, right? You had to have an office, no one would take you seriously. Right. And we're seeing that, you know, that's kind of starting to change. If you're like work from home and you know what you're doing and you're talented and you have entrepreneurial skills, people don't care as much anymore.
0: They really don't. And it's it's so apparent And even communication with people, like everyone's got their cell phone numbers in their emails. People are out there about the fact that, you know, I'm, I'm on the road. I'm wherever I am. I'm, I will do a major conference call. I'm at home on my cell phone, whatever. But again, it's a mindset shift when after such a long period of time, like Taylor said, when someone said, you know, you're going to stick a sign in the ground and start your own business, that's what they meant, literally. And they don't mean that anymore. And I think it's important, especially in the engineering world, because that is how most people perceive it. It's not everybody, and in fact, I know quite a few engineers that have do run remote businesses. And I'll definitely try to get one of them on the show. But again, it's the internet has given us a tremendous amount of opportunity that can give you some of the freedom and some of the other things that. And listen, it's not just about having the freedom. If you read Taylor's book, if you think about it, it's almost going to become a necessity because. On the path that we're on with all the the other people that have credentials, it's going to be the way for you to differentiate yourself from people and really to stay ahead of the curve in your industry. It may be a, the traditional now, maybe non-traditional in the future. So Let's jump into the, the final point here, which is number six, the stairway to entrepreneurship allows you to move from the job you're in now to the freedom you desire. Now, I know we're going to talk about this in specifics, Taylor, but just give some general ideas here around this and maybe any examples that you could give
1: would be cool. Yeah. So this kind of builds on the idea, which you brought up earlier, which is you know entrepreneurship is a skill set that can be acquired. And actually, I think the kind of analogy I like for this is, if you go into the gym to work out and you want to start lifting weights, you know like you don't go in and like put four hundred pounds on the you know bar and try and squat four hundred pounds. Like if you've never gone to the gym, you go in and you put ninety five pounds, and then what happens? You know your body adapts to that weight and you can increase the weight the next time. So you do one hundred pounds the next time, you do one hundred and five pounds the next time you do one hundred and ten pounds the next time. So you can get to the point where, say you can lift four hundred pounds or you know whatever the genetic maximum is for you. But the way you do that is you start you start where you're at at your current level and you slowly build up. And so I kind of have the same theory about entrepreneurship, and I got this from a guy named Rob Walling actually, and he calls it the stair step theory. That you know people see like kind of the popular notion of press when people think entrepreneurship, it was like Elon Musk or Steve Jobs or Jeff Bezos or Mark Zuckerberg. And they see guys with these giant giant businesses, and what they don't see in that you know kind of People we know and kind of people I profile in the book are people running seemingly much more modest businesses, but kind of earlier on in their career. So they're in there, they're stair stepping their way up into bigger and bigger businesses. So to give a, an actual example, Rob, the guy that I got this from, talks about his career. So he was a consultant, software consultant, and he started building small products. So the first product he built was a duck boat ebook. So it was a, an ebook and it would tell you, I like gotta to go to Home Depot and buy and construct a boat to hunt ducks out of. <laughs> Which sound like, right, it like, sounds kind of stupid. But there, and like, because of the internet, right, there are enough people, and I think he was selling it for like $50. This was maybe like 10 years ago. He was making like, he got to the point where he was making like $1,000 a month selling this book about how to build duck boats. And so again, like this is like a great place to get started. And he learned a lot because super uncompetitive. Like he was immediately the best duck boat book author in the world. As soon as he published the book, I And mean, he started like learning some of his sets you know, about technology. How do you set up a website? How do you set up a shopping cart on the website? How do you manage customer service? And then he kind of continued to build this out. So he went from a duck boat ebook. And then I think he had some wedding websites. He was selling people wedding websites. Hmm. He had a job board for electricians and he built up three or four of what he calls kind of step one businesses. So very simple, very uncompetitive. But, you know, once you added all the income up from those, he was basically able to replace his consulting income. And so he was able to go full-time on his businesses. And at that point, he actually went out and he bought a business called Hittail, which did search engine optimization. It was a search engine optimization software. So a little more complicated. And he took all the skills, the network, everything he had built up from those initial businesses to go into a, you know, more competitive space. And so that business ended up being much, much larger. And he actually, I think just two weeks ago, sold that business hmm. and now has an even larger, more competitive business doing email marketing software. So he's kind of started in uncompetitive places where he could come in, he could learn skills, he could build a network and could get some successes. And then his, you know, stair-stepped his way up into bigger, more competitive industries and more complicated business models.
0: Awesome. And that's what we'll do in a minute here in the Take Action Today segment. Taylor and I will do a little brainstorming on how, as an engineer, you could start to go through this stairway, so to speak. But before we do that, Taylor, just two more points I want to just bounce off of you here. One of them is just this idea that, which was kind of an overlying theme in the book, is that the nine to five job is what people always said is stable. I can't have my own business because I need the paycheck. I need that money consistently coming in. And I think a lot of the stuff in the book. And the way that, you know, it's kind of, it kind of comes out is that those jobs aren't necessarily stable anymore.
1: You know, I've been thinking about this since the book has come out as well. The way we talk about risk is we often think of risk as meaning low volatility. And like in in the stock market, this is literally true that the way they talk about risk is that they measure the volatility of a stock. So, you know, how much does it go up and down? And I think that's a, a very bad way to think about risk. And then, if you define risk as an irreversible negative outcome, you know, it's so like death would be the obvious option, but <laughs> you, you, metaphorically, you know, career death, like that is risk. So, you know, if you were to go back and talk to someone, you know, working at Bear Stearns in 2005, everyone would have said that was a very smart, safe career choice, right? You know, Bear Stearns is a very safe, reliable company. It's got a long track record, yada, yada, yada. And then, you know, we saw what happened with, 2007, 2008, because of the actions of a very few individuals, like there were just a couple guys on the mortgage bond trading desk that did some really stupid stuff, everyone in that company paid a price. And that, you know, that is kind of a feature of the world we live in now Um, that, you know, Nassim Taleb would call these black swan events. That's kind of the popular term now. He uses kind of this uh, analogy of a turkey. So if you think about it from the perspective of a turkey, the turkey's born and everything in the turkey's life confirms that its life is getting better and better. So, you know, it's born out behind the butcher's shed. Every day the butcher comes out and feeds it. And, you know, the turkey says, well, you know, this butcher is such a nice guy. And every day that's kind of reconfirmed. The butcher comes out and feeds it and it walks around and, you know, it's getting all the food at once and it's all great. And then Thanksgiving Day comes or the day before Thanksgiving Day comes, and all of a sudden, it's too late for the turkey, right? Like, you didn't figure things out until the last moment. So I think that's kind of an apt analogy for a lot of people that are in positions where they don't necessarily control their career's future that, you know, potentially something like a Bear Stearns situation where someone else is actually the person that is, you know, determining your future.
0: That's a good point. And Tim Ferriss did a really good job in his book, The Four Hour Work Week, of exposing or talking about risk too. Whereas, you know, a lot of times the risk is more of our own fear that we've built up. Whereas if you really break down what risk is, and I think the example he uses, well, what if I do lose my job? Well, I'm not going to have money. What if I do really lose my house? Yeah, like right now in the moment, that sucks. But ultimately, if you did something in a few years and save some money, you could buy another house probably on the next the street next to it or something like that. But the point is, is a lot of times the risk that we're saying and how we're thinking of risk is what we've built up in our own mind. It's really not that big a deal. So I think you got to kind of put that in perspective and maybe get ahead of the curve a little bit. Last point here, Taylor, it was one of the kind of quotes or that I pulled out of the book that I just wanted you to talk about a bit because I think it's a real important aspect of the whole theme of the book. It says, any system, be it a mechanical one with a literal lever and fulcrum or a more complex one, like your career in life, has leverage points. Despite pushing just as hard, sometimes your work is rewarded greatly and sometimes not. Can you speak on that quote a bit?
1: Yeah. So the opening story I, I use for the book is kind of trying to illustrate this point. And so the genesis of the book was I was sitting at a conference in Bangkok, Thailand at the end of 2014. There's an entrepreneurial conference. I think there were 200, 250 people there. They were running businesses. You know, they've been able to take a week off to go to this conference. They were in Asia. You know, they're walking around in flip-flops. I um, you know a lot of them, I knew how well they were doing financially. and Many of them were doing quite well. And I was talking with another guy. We're sitting at the breakfast buffet talking to this. And we're thinking about, you know, friends we have back in traditional jobs in the U.S. And you're saying like, they're just as smart And they're working just as hard. You know, both groups are intelligent. Both groups are hardworking. What's the difference? Like, why are the outcomes, you know, why does one kind of feel like they're chained to their desk? And one is like, you know, in Bangkok, Thailand and running businesses and kind of has some more freedom and flexibility in their lifestyle. And, you know, the answer I came up with was, you know, basically this notion of leverage points that entrepreneurship is a much higher leverage point as a career skill set and it's getting more and more valuable. And so that in my mind was kind of the defining differentiator.
0: So when you say leverage in that specific example, like an entrepreneur might have more leverage, what is that? Can you just describe that a little bit for the listener? Like what exactly does that mean?
1: The metaphor I'm using, imagine like Archimedes quote, like, you know, give me a lever long enough and I can move the world, right? So the this idea of like a, a longer and longer lever, but it goes back to what we're saying about like supply and demand, right? So if you look at talking about college graduates, all these competitive forces moving into the job market, there's less and less leverage. You know, if you had a college degree in 1950, you had a lot of leverage. There were a lot of people that were looking for that knowledge because, you know, knowledge was scarce. Like if you wanted to know something, you'd like go to the library and look it up and go to university. And the internet's made a lot of that uh, either not true or less and less true. And so, you know, Consequently, the leverage is getting shorter and shorter. So, you know, where is the scarce resource now? And I would say it's entrepreneurship.
0: You know, again, maybe thinking about a little bit from an engineer's perspective. I think what Taylor's saying with that quote and that whole thesis there or theory is, you might have the the master's degrees and the credentials, but they might not be putting you much further ahead than most other people in the corporate world right now because everybody has those. So it's not really a great. You don't have a lot of leverage because you you can only go so far. However, Maybe if you took those degree certifications, started your own business where you were able to be much more affordable for, let's say, for prospective clients and you had more of a geographic reach, then all of a sudden you might have a lot more leverage than all those other people that were sitting there in your job. Does that kind of make sense, Taylor?
1: Yeah. Or I think the example you gave, like you mentioned talking with CEOs right, and them saying like, you know, we need guys that can bring in the business. Like if you can, you know, say identify a client and identify like, you know, here's a new project we could do and you can pitch them and close that project. right? Like that's real. Like not a lot of people can do that. That's really valuable.
0: All right. So what we'll do now is we'll jump into the take action today segment of the show and we will brainstorm a little bit, Taylor and I, about some steps that you could take as an engineer to start to think about this whole idea of entrepreneurship for yourself. We did go through some real specific points, and and what we'll do is we'll put them in the show notes for today's show, which will be at engineeringcareercoach.com forward slash jobs, J-O-B-S, lowercase. It'll have the six points, a summary of Taylor and I's talk, and of course, links to his site and his book. But let's jump in for now to the Take Action Today segment. All right, so now it's time for our Take Action Today segment of the show. And this is where we try to help you take the information you heard in this episode and put it actually into action, which would be the whole point of listening. So today I have Taylor Pearson from taylorpearson.me here with me, the author of The End of Jobs. And we've spent this episode talking about entrepreneurship and how traditional jobs are history is showing us that they're ending and you're going to need to be more flexible in the future. So what we're going to do now is Taylor and I are going to give you examples of how you could start to do this as an engineer. All right, so let me set the scene here for Taylor so we could just do some brainstorming. I'm an engineer. My job consists of managing, let's say, engineering type projects where I would start by having a scope of work on a project. I would have a budget for a project and I'd have a schedule for a project. And I need to hit those projects, the deadlines. Some of the things that my job would entail would be talking with clients and corresponding with them and other consultants potentially working on the project, overseeing technical design work. Kind of serving as like that middle person between it and really playing the job of maybe doing some of that non-routine work where I'm going to a staff of people and saying, I think we can make this design better by doing this, this, and this, and then they go and do it. But then you also have to go back to the client and communicate that. So let's think about if I'm this person, I'm in this job and my job is pretty much, I don't know if every engineer feels like that, but for me, sometimes I felt like I was in a little bit of a hamster wheel because it's like one project after the other and you never seem to get to catch up. But, let's say I'm thinking that I want to do something where I want to maybe freelance or have my own business, be an entrepreneur as an engineer. What are some things that I can do? I've never had a business before on my own. I just want to get started.
1: I came up with three ideas i'll I'll put these out here, and you can kind of help me adapt them to be more specific for engineers. So kind of the big picture thing I was thinking about is you know how do you take your existing skill set so you've got a really valuable skill set. And how do you move that into a more entrepreneurial situation? So how do you start to kind of stair-step your way up? So the kind of the three things I've seen, I've seen other people in technical professions do um, is one is some sort of like consultant or contract work on the side for smaller entrepreneurial companies. So some of these I've seen people do just through sites like upwork.com, which is kind of like a freelancer consultant hiring platform. You know, you put up your resume on there and you say, hey, you know, I understand SolidWorks or whatever your kind of capabilities are. And, you know, people come to you for contract consulting gigs. So, sort of like a side hustle thing where, you know, you, okay, you've got this valuable skill set. Can you start taking that into a more entrepreneurial situation? So, there's one option. Yep. Another one is apprenticing. So, one of the ideas I talk about in the book is one way to kind of start to stair step and learn entrepreneurship is, you know, can you take your skill set and get it into a more entrepreneurial company? So, instead of doing something on the side, can you move into a job at a different company that's much more entrepreneurial? And so I actually have a cousin who's an engineer, and he recently did this. So he was working with IBM and wasn't really happy there, didn't really enjoy it. And he, friend of a friend, had a company based out of Texas, uh, Austin, Texas, that was doing I think microchip processors. And I'm sure I'm gonna, all these terms are going to be totally botched, so I apologize. But basically cut a deal with this guy. I said, look, you know, I'll take a 20% pay cut or a 30% pay cut, I can't remember what it was, from my job at IBM and I'll come work with you like you got to teach me all the details like you know how do you find clients how do you start this business you know I, I kind of want to learn from you how to run a business hmm. so he took his he had this skill set and he just took it into a more entrepreneurial company so now you know he's leveraging that skill set he can bring that value into the company but he's also you know learning about like how to actually run a business and then my kind of third thought or third suggestion is can you productize some element of what your existing company does and turn it into a business. And so I met a guy uh, maybe a year or two ago, and he was, I think he was an architect, but part of his company's process when they were doing a project is they had to, they would like turn it, there was some software and to present to the client, they would like model it up in this software. So like the client can like click around and they can look and see, you know, the building from 360 degrees and they can like zoom in and walk through the doors. Yeah. So, it, you know, kind of create, so basically a sales, increases sales conversion, right? They get to see what it looks like. But this wasn't like, no one in the company was particularly good at this. The company wasn't specialized in it. Like people were training themselves on the software. And so what he did is he said, okay, I have all these other parts of my jobs I do. This is maybe only like one, you know, I do this one morning every two weeks, but I know my company gets a lot of value out of it. And I know other companies was. So he said, okay, I'm, you know, I'm just going to do this full time. So, you know, if you have any systematized, you know, you send him the file in, you know, whatever the original program is, and then he turns it into, you know, this 3D thing to show a client. So instead of, you know, if you're a company and this isn't your expertise, you can just outsource this to him. And then he turned that into, you know, selling to a lot of different businesses, you know, that one specific part of his job suddenly became kind of this productized service for his industry and for a lot more companies. That's
0: really interesting. Yeah. So, so I think those are three really good points and I know that they can all be adapted to engineering. So the first one's an easy one. I mean, a lot of engineers do like consulting or contract work. So that's something that you can definitely do. And I'll give you an example, because I know an engineer that does this, like companies, if someone's doing it, and again, I'll use this example just because this was my industry and I knew this, but in the civil world, for example, there's a lot of, you'll design a project and then obviously the contract will be built like a building. And then the owner of the building will need an engineer to do the design. And they'll also need an engineer to inspect, do construction inspection to make sure that that design is built according to the design. And I know a guy who just was really good at doing inspections, construction inspections. So he just made that his business. It was just like him, I think maybe him and his wife. And they just got a bunch of engineering companies that said, you know, we don't want to send anyone out in the field. We're not that familiar with doing the constructions inspections part of it. So he just went around for engineering companies and did their inspections and was able to build up a good business just doing that. So that's I think that's a good example of number one. Number two, apprenticing. I think this would be the case of Let's say I know for me, like when I was coming out of school, for example, I had some different opportunities of either going with a larger company or a really small company. And I say small, I mean like you know five people in an office. And I did work at a small company first, like five people in an office, and I was able to learn a lot about the entire every aspect of the engineering business that the specific discipline that I was in. And it didn't have all of the benefits of a larger company, like all of the great health benefits, maybe all of the holidays and all that kind of stuff. But I think in the long term, my engineering career I did much better because I had the skills of of doing that. So it, maybe it wasn't set up or it wasn't referred to as like an apprentice, but that's the way I look at that. Was because I was in the an op, I had an opportunity to learn from the owner directly. Basically, would you agree with that, Taylor?
1: Yeah, maybe the operative way of the key insight there is you know is the whether it's the owner or the manager, whoever you're working under, is it like a really high learning situation. Are you like learning a lot from
0: them? Exactly. It doesn't mean you can't get that from a larger company because you could, if you're in a small satellite office of a large company or a very small department and you're learning some kind of niche, but just, you can think about that as you kind of move forward in your career. And the third one, actually, I got a really good example because back on episode 39, we had Sam Lytle on from Civil FX, and the title of the episode was how being an entrepreneur can help you in your engineering career. And the reason we titled it like that was because Sam was in the transportation world. And what he noticed was, was that on some of the bigger projects, a company would ask for a 3D model rendering of the project before they did it, kind of like to show the clients, maybe to get their loans and get their funding. And Sam was a transportation design engineer, but he was just happened to be tasked with the, they bought this program and he ended up modeling it for a couple of the projects. And he liked doing it so much that he ended up going out and starting his company, Civil FX, where he actually now does models for a living. So if you have a big project, You go to him and you get it modeled for the public, for the citizens through the public hearing process. But that's exactly what Taylor's was talking about was basically he saw this one little segment of something that his company did that he turned it into a business and a niche and he's doing well with it. And so you can think like that, like Sam thought that man, I, you know, I really want to have my own freedom and flexibility. I really loved doing these 3D models and, and using this program. Maybe I can learn it. And then he's kind of put himself into a situation where there's not a lot of companies that do strictly that. And he's got the engineering background too. So someone that hires him knows that not only is he just a person that has an art background or a graphics background designing this model, but he understands the project, how it works, and he can integrate that into his design.
1: That's awesome. That's a super cool business.
0: Yeah, it's awesome. And now he gets to work on some cool projects. So I think we did a pretty good job here. And I think that if you are an engineer, doing any or all of those is going to help be helpful for you. Because I do believe, as Taylor's book suggests, that times are changing. There's another really good book called Value Redesigned, which is specific to the engineering industry, talking about how a lot of these consulting companies are not going to be able to continue the way they are now. And that may be another guest to have on in the future, but we'll link to that in the show notes as well. So Taylor, I guess the best place to find your work is on taylorpearson.me. Is that right?
1: Yeah, that's the best.
0: So Taylor's got He writes some really good articles. He calls them essays. They're pretty in-depth and they cover some really interesting topics all related to the stuff that we talked about here. And the one thing that I would say to you is don't try to ignore this because times are changing. And if you could put yourself ahead and you can get kind of into something that's scarce, something that isn't as common, your value is going to be higher and your leverage, like we talked about before, you're going to have that leverage to succeed. Taylor, thanks a lot for coming on with us today. Really appreciate it, man.
1: Thank you for having me on and thank you everyone for listening.
0: All right. I hope you enjoyed that episode. We'd love to hear your feedback, comments, or questions. Go to engineeringcareercoach.com forward slash jobs and you can put in your comments and I'll make sure to get Taylor a link this way. If you have anything you want to ask him about the book, we can see if we can get him to respond to that. And again, check out his book, which everything you can find is at taylorpearson.me. And until next time, please continue to engineer your own success.